Yo, yo, welcome to another episode of the Clip City Podcast. I'm your host, Yovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. And tonight, I, as always, it feels like these days, I am joined by Justin Russo, a.k.a. Fly by Night. Um, Justin, how you doing? I'm doing okay, but I heard you also say that in your last podcast with Mo. And it's 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 you two. It, it, you two are my most frequent guests by far. Um, I, I'm now interested in who has been on the pod the most. I, I would guess it was you, uh, but it, it feels like Mo's on once every like two or three weeks. It almost feels like you're on once a week or or at least every two weeks now. See, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out if we should just rebrand as the three man weave. <laughs> it would be fun. We should do a three man pod at some point. Um, That'd be fun. But we're we're already into our uh, <laughs> into our minutes here. So let's let's get into this game one. Clippers Nuggets uh, Western Conference Semifinals. The Clippers blew out the Nuggets one twenty to ninety seven. Uh, what started out as a close game, thirty one thirty one after one quarter, uh, Clippers ended up blitzing the Nuggets in the second and third quarters, outscoring them sixty to thirty six combined o- over that twenty four minute span. Um, ended up losing the fourth quarter by one, but that didn't really matter. Um, what are your opening takeaways of this game uh, of this series? Did anything surprise you? Did anything stand out or, or was this kind of chalk for you? Did, did you expect this? So I have been on record as saying Clippers in five. I said that, uh, on my own podcast with Farbot. I, I really think this is the easiest matchup for the Clippers in the first two rounds. I think they would have struggled more with Utah than they theoretically could with Denver. I kind of saw today as nothing more than here's this team who came in with only one day off riding high after an emotional and uh, tension filled game seven that they almost lost on a Mike Conley heave and they came out and they did their best for the first quarter and a half this was an even game. And then I just think the Clippers steamrolled them and the, and the Nuggets just looked tired. So I don't know how much to take from this game. I kind of just think the Clippers are just the better team. So there might be another game in the series that looks kind of like this. But also I expect Denver to put up a fight in game two. I think in game two, that might be the best punch Denver throws in the entire series. But, you know, just looking at the film for 48 minutes, like when I watched it live, it was just, I don't think the Clippers are fearful of anything Denver does. Like Denver's best player is a big man. And I don't think the Clippers care about that. And you saw it defensively. They dropped off Jokic time and time again in pick and rolls. And they just let him kind of just do what he wanted. And he didn't make them pay. So it's going to be interesting to watch going forward. We're in full agreement. Um, you know, as we typically are, I I had Clippers in five. Um, I thought that I was tempted to pick them in four, but I, I just I felt with the way they played defensively in the first round, I was like, there's no way Denver doesn't get a game with um you know with the way the Clippers have just kind of been in and out of focus and um being locked in. But this might have been their best defensive performance of the season. That's what Paul George said, and. Um, I, you know, I would have to go back through the schedule and, and really look at some stuff, but um, I think it's in the conversation and, and certainly probably their best win of the bubble, their, their best win of the playoffs. I, I think game five versus Dallas is up there, uh, but that was much more of a 
kind of fluky performance where they they hit 22 threes. They were just making everything. This felt more sustainable. This felt more of like a actual we're better than you and, and we're just proving it for 48 minutes. Um, I, I do agree that, I, you know, I went back and watched everything Murray and Jokic did offensively, um, the, their shots, their assists, their turnovers. And it was clear, like the, the Clippers did not change their pick and roll coverage. They, they still dropped. Um, they, they were willing to seed threes to Jokic and, and jumpers to Jokic and um, some you know wide open jumpers for, for Murray. And I, I think they'll get burned if they continue to play them that way. Like there will be one game where those two guys get hot. Um, you know, some of Denver's shooters started hot early and, and then kind of cooled off. So I think you will lose a game or two if you are just going to give them wide open jumpers like they did t- tonight. But for the most part, you know, they really limited those guys. You know, 27 points on a combined 11 of 29 shooting. Um, you know, they only had nine assists and they played a decent amount of minutes. You know, they, they didn't play in the fourth, but they did play a combined 63 minutes. So um, I felt the, the bigger thing for me was they were able to lock into Denver and, and Denver did look gassed. They, they did have an off shooting night, but offensively, I mean, there's no way Denver can defend this team. I mean, that's the thing. Even if Denver is hitting at a high rate, I, I just, you know, Kawhi walked into 29 points easily. Uh, Marcus Moore Sr. had 18 points on 10 shots. Um, you know, PG, I felt like didn't even play that well and, and had 19 on, on 13 shots. And it was just like, you know, had those guys played more minutes, no one played over 33 minutes. Like they could have easily gotten to 25 plus each. And I, I think if, if those guys are going to be rolling like that, um, there's just nothing you can do. Yeah. I mean, look. When you really factor it in, if those three, Leonard, George, and Morris, are going offensively in a game, I don't know who beats them. Because those are three wing players that teams just can't make. Like, you don't have three wing defenders to deal with them. So one guy is usually going to be going off, and obviously most nights it's Kawhi, because that dude's just insane in the play. I don't even know. I've run out of superlatives to describe him at this point. I mean, he was, what, 12 or 16? He never looked like he was rattled. So as I look at it with the Clippers, the theme for Denver is we're just going to play drop coverage. That's our system. We know Jokic isn't a good rim protector, or at least in terms of lateral foot speed. So we're going to drop him and just hope to God he can defend the rim. And literally none of that happened tonight. Like he couldn't do it. You know, the Clippers had 66 points in the paint. They're not scared of Denver in the paint and nor should they be. So this is something that I see as being sustainable for the future. As you said, the Clippers were only 10 of 24 from three tonight. Morris made four of his five. Everyone else after that, like, you know, Beverly was two of three. Kawhi was only one of two, but, uh, you know, PG was two of seven, but PG's shots were good. I liked his shots. I liked him going to the rim. I just don't know what Denver does defensively to really upset the timing of the Clippers because outside of a first quarter, which yes, they scored 31 points. The Clippers also had like weird passes to that near side corner that were like just awful. Just almost like they would go out of, out of bounds if Landry Shamit didn't save them. And outside of that though, the Clippers offense looked in sync and nothing Denver does upsets the timing of the Clippers whatsoever. They don't defend pick and rolls well. They don't protect the rim well. They don't close out to shooters particularly well. They were leaving Morris open all night. you know. And then they started killing killing them with a couple Zubats passes on pick and rolls. 
And then uh, Montrez had some nice short roll passes. So it's like, I don't know what Denver does defensively to keep the games close enough for their offense to truly matter, unless they're just knocking down a ton of threes. One guy that you just touched on that I want to get into here is Marcus Morris Sr. And this shouldn't come as a surprise at this point because, uh, you know, I would say he's been their third best. And I don't even know if I want to say third best. I might even say like 2.5, you know, 2B um, during the postseason. You know, like he's honestly been right there, you know, neck and neck with with PG. I I would give PG the edge overall just because of his gravity offensively and, um, you know, his defensive capability and, and, you know, that game five that he had. But you could make the case Marcus has been their second best player in the postseason. And, you know, I I think this is something we've discussed recently. Um, It's been a big topic on Clippers Twitter. But, you know, looking back now on that Marcus Morris trade, I think this has worked out as well as it could have realistically like that, you know, when you thought of what he could be and what the upside was, I think he's been, you know, a nine out of 10 in the bubble with regard to his upside in his role. Right. Like, I mean, I can't really I don't know what he could really do better. Um, You know, he could obviously, I guess, shoot better. That's always possible. But I mean, he's been shooting at a ridiculous rate. So I'm like, you know, defensively, you know, I, I. and there's been some of the stuff with like the technicals and the flagrants and like he, he could eventually get suspended if he keeps that up in, in, in this series or next series. Um, so I, I guess that's like one thing you could knock him for. But aside from that, like his actual play, he's been great. And, I, you know, I think it's clear that that was the right move for the Clippers. I think if you're saying it wasn't, you just don't like Marcus Morris for whatever reason. But um, he's been a star in his role. Uh, as Brian Seaman likes to say. And I, I just, I don't know. I, I think he, he's been great. And uh, if he continues this, like, I, again, I, I don't see how anybody beats the Clippers when he's being this good of a third player. He, and I want I want I want to, I want to stress this. The other shoe can drop with him, meaning yes. Yes. he could start missing threes again. And then we're back to where he was before the hiatus, which was, Man, he's just missing a lot of open threes. And I want to stress this. In the two regular season games against Denver that he played with the Clippers, he was one of 12 from three. He was four or five in game one. So, like, he he reverted to the mean really fast. <laughs> and, like, you know, there's going to be nights where he does miss shots, and you're just going to be like, all right, well, that kind of sucks, but, you know, maybe he's giving it defensively and we're fine there. And I got to say, I've been really impressed with, like, as good as his offense has been, I think his defense has probably been better, maybe just based on expectations. And he's just, he's just been good. He's been the perfect running mate for Kawhi and PG. And I've stressed this before on here. I got to say, I like the tandem with him and Zubats. I think they have some chemistry there, like legit offensive and defensive chemistry. I no, I, I I agree. Um, I, I think those two they, they complement each other well. I, I thought one interesting thing that the Clippers did um, for like one or two possessions in the first quarter was put Morris on Jokic and Zubots on Millsap, which almost is like kind of when they switched Zoo off of Porzingis and were putting him on Dorian Finney Smith or, or Maxi Kleba, kind of putting him away from the primary action, and if. Denver wants to go away from the, the you know, the Jokic-Murray two-man game. 
and bring in Paul Millsap, that's fine. But I think the Clippers would much prefer that than obviously Jokic and Murray. So I think that's something to watch too, because looking at it, Jokic did, you know, he, he did have a couple drives on Zoo. Um, he, he did get that three point shot a couple times. Um, you know, I, I felt he just missed a lot of stuff. Like th- there were a couple of times Zoo altered some shots and, um, you know, I, I thought Zoo bodied him. You know, he had that shot uh, along the baseline. Uh, that was right crazy. In front of the Clippers bench, which was just insane. But, but I mean, he's capable of that. And, and then he also yeah. missed a few like runners that weren't that contested and you just missed them. So I, I think Jokic can play a lot better. Um, and I, I do wonder if that's an adjustment down the road for the Clippers is maybe putting uh, Morris on him. And really, what one thing I liked that they did defensively that I, I forgot to mention earlier was putting Kawhi on Jamal. And that was something I noticed in going back and watching the film on, on the last two regular season matchups. Uh, I just feel Kawhi, he, he, you know, he just uses his size so well, especially against point guards. And, you know, the, the, the first time they played Denver with Kawhi on Jamal was um, that, that game. They blew him out by 30. It was late February. That's when the Clippers started to hit their stride. Uh, before the hiatus and Kawhi just swallowed Jamal Murray up like he he just shut him down um you know w- was not letting him get to his spots and I I think he can do that against point guards who don't necessarily have that like Westbrook level athleticism which um you know Jamal clearly doesn't have so I do think that that's something that he could also switch on to Jokic um and, and that's where if you have like Kawhi defending Jamal and then uh Marcus defending Jokic like you can switch those actions a little bit if you really need to but I mean to your earlier point like <laughs> Clippers don't even seem concerned with that right now but one thing I want to touch on is uh Pat Beverly's return and, and how good he played and, and you know, only played 12 minutes but hit a couple threes early had a a full court drive uh, which we don't see frequently from him uh, but I just thought defensively and, and with his energy uh, really changed the game and, and that's what Pat does. That's what we've been saying. He does all season. He probably is this team's third most important player. Although Marcus is pushing him on that. Uh, what, what did you think about Pat's performance tonight? I thought he did everything the team needed. And I know that sounds very simple, but at the end of the day, basketball is a simple game. And if you just do the right things, nine times out of 10, you put yourself in the right spot to win the game. Beverly put himself in the right spot in the corner on, on two occasions, knocked down some threes, And then, you know, he had that full court drive. He crashed the defensive glass. He had six defensive rebounds in 12 minutes. Crazy. Yeah, he's nuts. He had two assists. You know, you look at Pat and it's like, well, he shouldn't be the third most important player. And if you want to put Morris on that level with him, that's fine. But he shouldn't be, yet he is because he sees the game at such a high level. And he truly is a guy who transcends like box score uh, statistics. So like there's a level of calm with him out there and it's the level of calm that you only really see on the team with Kawhi on the floor. And when they're on the floor together, it's tough, man. Like other teams are just having problems. And I know it's only 33 minutes, but the team has like a sub 90 defensive rating with Beverly on the floor this postseason. which I know it's a small sample size, but my Lord, the difference he makes, like these are top five offenses. The Clippers are playing. And when he's on the floor, they're killing them. So they needed him back and they needed him back to get his feet wet because it's going to take some time with a minutes restriction. And he would have played more than 12 minutes if the game was closer. But look, at the end of the day, he got his 12 minutes in. He looked great. I just hope he stays healthy. 
and, and I've said this before too, and I think we we've discussed this. Um, to me, the biggest defensive drop off on the roster from a starter to the bench is Pat Beverly to that Lou Williams, Reggie Jackson spot. And, um, you know, like Kawhi, Marcus, PG, you can kind of interchange those guys and and maybe hide like a Landry in there somewhere or, you know, bring in Rodney or Terrence. Like you can kind of make up for some of those guys if, if one of those is out, at least defensively, obviously not offensively. Um, and, and then Zoo to Trez is a big drop off, but, you know, you Trez can fare you know, fairly well against second units, or you could go with your Michael, you know, downsize, whatever. But Pat to Reggie and Lou is just such a stark drop off that, you know, we saw it in the Dallas series that kind of alone shifted that series because Seth Curry and uh, Trey Burke, I mean, we talked about it multiple times, like we're just playing out of their mind and look like all stars going up against Lou and Reggie. So I think that alone, like without even factoring in his elite three point shooting, his ability to to run the uh, you know the offense and kind of co-pilot it at, at times with Kawhi and PG, um, and just his defense overall. Like specifically, they don't have a guy who can come in at the point guard spot and, and defend at a high level. Um, so I think that's where he's just so um, unstable, as Doc likes to say. Oh God! <laughs> um, but I just got PTSD look. flashbacks. <laughs> Avery Bradley. Uh, <laughs> but let's get out of here on this um, game two adjustments. And maybe, you know, as we saw in last series, the Clippers didn't really adjust until they lost the game. Um, so I don't know what they're necessarily going to do between game one and game two. They might not do much. I mean, it was kind of clear to start this game. They didn't really tweak things that drastically. But if it were up to you, what would you change for game two? And if they don't want to change anything for game two and until they feel like they have to, whether that's a close game or a loss, what would you like to see later in the series at least? Um, so I guess open-ended uh, adjustments you'd like to see. I kind of wonder if they're going to get to the point with Doncic. Now, like you said, this might depend on what Denver shows them first to make them adjust to this. But I kind of wonder if they're just going to randomly start th- tossing in uh, show recovers with Jamal, when he with Jamal Murray when he starts running pick and rolls with Jokic. Because... They're just dropping and like it's working for now. But what happens if Jokic starts hitting threes or Murray just starts, you know, stepping right into threes out of the pick and roll? Like you got to think three, four five steps ahead and even games ahead at times, you know. So I kind of wonder if they're just going to start hedging or showing or blitzing them at times just just to kind of mess with him, just to upset their timing, because Denver's a little bit like Dallas in you know, you kind of want to force guys like Grant and Millsap and Harris and Tory Craig to make plays with the ball while moving. Like you don't want them to be stationary players. And what upset Dallas later on in the series in the couple last couple games is the Clippers started forcing those guys to do more and they couldn't do it. And I think you have to force that every now and then with an opponent. Maybe they don't do it in game two, but I, I, I think it's something to look at. I'm with you. I, I think that was something I had written. Um, I, I wrote a couple of previews for the athletic and um, in one of them uh, more specifically, I, I went into some detail about, I just think you got to mix it up and it, it did take them until game five to really adjust the pick and roll defense against Luka Doncic. And um, you know, Jamal Murray is not Luka Doncic obviously. So maybe you can get away with, with dropping and, and kind of 
sticking with your more conservative coverages. But I, I do, I do wonder at what point they have to change that, and, and maybe they do start throwing some of those doubles or traps, or, or they do start showing and recovering. Um, because I, I, I do think one thing that I liked about their defense was kind of swarming the paint at times and, and really daring some of Denver's questionable shooters to shoot. And, and I think that if you are going to, you know, kind of send two at Jamal or send two at, at Jokic, like you are leaving a guy open, but I don't know if they're necessarily afraid of that. And that's where I think you can kind of get a little bit more aggressive with some of your scheming. But the only other thing for me was that overall, I didn't love how the second unit played. And this <laughs> has been a, a drum I've been beating for a while. Um, I thought Trez looked better against Mason Plumley. Um, that is an exploitable matchup for him. That that is something that um, you know he he can do well in, and he had 15 points tonight. Um, I didn't love some of the post ups. I, I thought they did that a little bit too much, and the defense to me continues to be just a disaster. And uh, you know, I, I think especially with Denver, you know, they, they were sticking with a starter or two with the bench for for most of those stretches, like. If Jokic or Murray goes off against the bench, like I, I mean, I think you got to adjust. But that, that's something down the road. I, I do think they need to kind of uh, shorten the bench minutes. I've said Reggie Jackson shouldn't be playing. I, I stand by that. He had an O for tonight. Um, only put up two fouls uh, in 13 minutes and, and zero and everything else. So you call it the Tony Snell special uh, or memorial, <laughs> um, which, yeah. which is a little mean, but you know. But yeah, I mean, I, at, the, at this point, I just don't, I, I think you go with nine guys, and to me, Reggie is a distant tenth um, from yeah. the other four bench guys. So, um, but let's let's wrap up here, um, Justin. Where can people find you on social media, and where can they read and listen to your work? You can find me at Flybynight on Twitter. That's F L Y B Y K N I T E. You can find me on Patreon.com for my five takeaways after every game and a video breakdown after every game. Uh, that's Patreon.com slash Flybynight. And you can find me on the Blue Wire Podcast Network at Clip and Roll if you are in tune to actually listening to me rant about the Clippers sometimes. So there you go. <laughs> Definitely check out the podcast, subscribe to his Patreon, and follow him on Twitter. And thank you, as always, for hopping on the pod. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Yovan Buha. That's at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to rate and review. If you have not subscribed to The Athletic yet, you can go to theathletic.com slash Google to get a free trial. Uh, and I, I think you should, should do that. Uh, <laughs> I've put up two previews for the series, have a five observations piece going out tomorrow morning and we'll have more stuff over the weekend so be on the lookout for that 